Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. So, Boker Tov, everybody. Nice to see you all, Boker Tov. Happy Cheshvan. Hope it's not at all bitter. Hope you all know that that's a midrash and not pshat, that Mar Cheshvan, which, you know, the rab- rabbis love to play the, the word games. A lot of people read it as bitter Cheshvan, bitter because it has no holidays. It's so obvious that that's not the case, particularly because back when the Hebrew calendar was beginning to be created, there were many months that had no holidays. We're used to, you know, holidays every month, but, you know, Shvat didn't have any holidays either back then um, in the biblical era, and neither did Kislev or Tebet for that matter. Um, and I don't know why I'm telling you this, but it's Cheshvan. So the most people believe that the origin of Mar Cheshvan is Akkadian, Warach Shaman, Warach Yareach month, Shaman Shmona eight, eighth month. If you start with Nisan as the first month, then Cheshvan is the eighth month, and a metathesis happened, and a mem turned to a vav, and a vav turned to a mem. So Yarach became Marach, and Shaman became Waman. So Mar Cheshwaman, Mar Cheshvan. That's probably how it happened, but the, the Midrash is still a good one. But even so, I hope there's nothing bitter about your Cheshvanim so far. Okay. Um, we are away from the troughs, and I need to get to the right page. I'm so distracted by trying to get Facebook to work that I got to the wrong page. Okay, so um, we're on page Kaf of our of the, of the eighth Torah Chaim pagination. We finished verse 17, right? We finished the work on Vayir Garshum, right? I know we discussed the um, the, the grammar of that sentence, who is doing the sending away, who is being sent away. And we looked at the one word Rashi who weighs in and says, who's sending the way? The, the, the local shepherds are sending away. Whom are being sent away? The benot of Yitro. Why they're being sent away? Because they had been put in some kind of a religious cherem because their father had the audacity of questioning idolatry. And I think that's where we are, which means that we should. Um, um, Yud What's that? Yud Tet. Yud Tet, right. Because we read verse Yud Chet and there was no Rashi on it. So let's read uh, verse Yud Chet one more time to get going and then we'll move into the slower reading. Verse Yud Chet, which we read, was Vatavona El Ru'el Abihen. They came to Ru'el, their father. We asked the question, why is he not called Yitro here? And we discussed how that's like an anachronistic question because. We don't, we don't even yet know his name is Yitro. So it's not why is his name Yitro here. It's why, why is his name Yitro later if the first time we're introduced to him is Ritwell. Vayomer, and he said, Madua, why? Miharten, did you hurry? Bo, in your coming, Hayom. Why did you come home early today? And we talked about how that could be read as um, suggesting that they are often harassed at the well. Okay. And now we're on verse 19. Everyone agree as to where we are? Okay, Barry, do you want to read verse 19? Booker Tov, Andrew. Nice to see you. Nice to see all of you, but Andrew just arrived onto my screen, so I'm saying hello to him. 
תמארנה איש מצרי, כשילנו מיד הרעים, וגם דלא נדלה לנו, ויש את הצאן. אוקיי, let's see what you can do in a translation there, Barry. So they, um, they, they, they answered their father, Ruel. Um, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, what? that's right. The Batomona, they said, they, feminine plural, said, correct? Yeah, to, to Ruel, their, their father. Uh, yeah, I, I'm in the wrong line. My eyes skipped. Uh, they, uh, they, they said, uh, an Egyptian uh, saved us uh, from uh, the hands of the shepherds. And... Um, Dalo uh, Dala, um, this is the the drawing drawing. Good. He he verily drew uh, for us, uh, uh, and uh, the 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 sheep that watered the sheep. Very good. Okay. So um, I'll point out a few things in the verse, and then I'll ask for your question. So first of all, once again, we have Dalo Dala, which seems to be a transitive verb that would beg the thing being drawn. Right, right. We, we discussed that when the, the first time we had the verb, but it's left here without a direct object. He drew for us. He drew what for us? Obviously, it's water, but there, there's something kind of um, um, missing there. Once again, we have haroim, the shepherds being written lashon chaser without the vav, allowing for some interesting midrashim. One of you, at least last week, discussed how maybe this is haraim, right? The, the evil ones, because it oh. reads as haraim. But oh. we also could read as haraim. Which means mm-hmm. our dear friends. It's a reish ayin is a great root, uh, mm-hmm. meaning lots of different things. Um, mm-hmm. And um, the, the 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 kind of the, the question I'll put out there for you to ask. You can ask questions on the questions. Is how why do we think or how do we think that Benot Ruel know that he's an Ish Mitzri? And isn't it interesting that the first time he shows up in um, the place um, where he, he, he's going to attach his burgeoning monotheism to Yitro's burgeoning monotheism. He's initially identified as an Egyptian, right? What's, what's, what's going on with their recognizing that and what's going on with us as the reader, one level up? Why, is it, why are we being told that they recognize him as an Ishmitri? So that's kind of starting the conversation. And now I throw it out to you. Uh, questions on the verse. Norm and then Tova. Um. Uh, not a question, but why they think he's Egyptian is probably he has clothes that seem Egyptian or are from Egypt. He may have an Egyptian, he may speak, accent. he may speak Egyptian or merely have an Egyptian accent, which they likely would recognize, even if he speaks some Midian or what, whatever other Semitic language they speak. Um, and he, you know, they, they weren't silent with him. He may have explained that he's from Egypt. Good. So there are, you're right. There are plenty of ways to answer the question. What, how does he know he's a magician, uh, a magician, an Egyptian? His speech, his clothing, they spoke to him. So then you can go to the question up. Why is it significant for the Torah to tell us that they recognize him as an Egyptian? Why, why, why is his Egyptianness being inserted into this verse? I think it's, it's critical to the scene. So I think it's again? important that they told their father that. Uh-huh. Because, because the what, who else would have stepped in for them? It certainly wasn't going to be one of the shepherds from the local community. Yeah. It would have to be some kind of an outsider who decided to change the normal course and step in for them. And so they're telling you who it was. It wasn't somebody from Aram. It was somebody from the other direction, from Egypt. Great. Thanks, Norm. Uh, and, and, and uh, Rachel. Toba. 
Uh, yeah, the thing that really struck me about this was, again, ish mis- mis- mitzri, but more because the last time those two words were used Good. was Moses killing an ish mitzri. Right. And I think it just seems clear because there's so many other ways that this could have been written for them to echo that term again. It really seems like we're, that's being called attention to and that. When him with him killing it, we have a killing an Ishmitsri, we have a sense of him perceiving a difference, creating an otherness that that he is identifying with the people of Israel uh, against the uh, assault of an of another, and now he's being identified with that, and it's sort of challenging creating otherness in people. Uh, so that that's. Like I'm thinking a lot about that, but I agree with Norm on what must some of the things that must have tipped them off that this was an Egyptian man. But it also it delves into the nature of his own identity. That- I think you're onto something very rich there, Tova, and I and I and I and I think that the it's just it's just a short phrase, Ishmitri. Yeah. Just two simple Hebrew words, but I think the proximity of the last Ishmitri. The, the rabbis would say Ze Omer Darshani. This is saying Drashmi, right? Exactly. Because Ish, a man saved us. You know, it could, but yeah. <laughs> and and the kind of the pinging back and forth between is he is he the person recognizing he's an Israelite who's beating the Ish Mitzri, or is he an Ish Mitzri, or does he not know? And can you and are you even permitted to? Are you able to? define who you are or are you defined by how others see you and if they see him as in the complex nature of his about to be going up against the very people who raised him right yeah um the, your comment brings something to mind um i, I mentioned in one of my highlighted sermons i think that i i've been listening to malcolm gladwell's podcast recently and the one i happened to listen to yesterday um a, a powerful and painful podcast on tokenism using um, Sammy Davis Jr. as an example, and a, a little piece of history that I, I did not know of because it happened, you know, basically before I was born, and it, it's not—it never appeared on my in my, in my history lessons before. Uh, and some of you who are a little bit older might remember this moment. It was called the "Hug Heard Round the World," where he hugged Richard Nixon from behind at a rally, um, and uh, kind of an, an awkward hug. But then he was even more awkward that Sam, Sammy Davis Jr. was kind of pilloried by his particularly his black peers for embracing someone that they understood to be, you know, re- representing American whiteness in a very, very, um, you know, in the seventies version of the way compared uh, as opposed to the, the current version of the way. And the episode is about how hard Sammy Davis Jr. worked in, in his voice, in whom he performed to, to be not a black man performing for whites, but really in the club. Right in the Rat Pack, um, and he was the fr- he was he was really the first black entertainer who could get fifty thousand white people into a an auditorium and perform for them. And at the end of his career, he is um, a, the object of the Dean Martin roast. Some of, some of you have seen versions of that. It used to be a common thing, I think, on NBC. Um, Comedy Central now does versions of the roast. In fact, if you want to you want to see something like like disgusting but prescient. This is a parentheses and a parentheses. Look up Comedy Central roast of Donald Trump from about six or seven years ago um, or eight or nine years ago. 
And um, it's pretty crazy to imagine that happening to the person who's gonna be the president of the United States. But what Gladwell points out is that after spending 60 years in the business, like not quite unblacking himself, but trying to be able to just be with entertainers and entertainer, not to be a black entertainer, the entirety of the roast is what we would consider to be a disgusting array of racist and racial humor, right? Like you couldn't get away with one of those jokes now and for good reason, right? But even if you could get away with those jokes then, the fact that he was reduced at the very end of his career, all you are to us is, is a black man dancing, right? So now insert that into Moshe and Ishmitzri, right? So Moshe is about to become the most powerful, most prominent non-Mitzri that the Torah raises up. And yet his first time leaving Mitzrayim, he's identified as an Ish Mitzri. So there's a lot in what you said in terms of his identity. Okay, thank you for allowing me to go on that riff. I got Larry, Diane, Marshall, and Barry. I'm glad you went on that riff. It was very interesting. I'm also, I'm glad you have discovered Malcolm Gladwell. He's a great iconoclast and everyone should listen to his podcast. He gets people, he gets you to look at something you're sure you know in a different way. I'm actually, uh, one other comment about that. I listen to the podcast, I'm watching the dog and I have spatial association. So I know exactly where I was when I heard that part of that podcast that you just described when it talked about at the, at, the end, at the end of the podcast. I don't know why that is, but it happens. In any case, I want to talk about something else here, but also in the Torah in general, and it relates to this week's Parsha and the Tower of, of, of Bavel and language. We read all these stories about movement and people coming to different places. Abraham moving from Orkazdin to Canaan, and Joseph being thrown in the well and then being taken to Egypt, and Eliezer going back to the homeland to get a, um, uh, a wife, uh, and now here, and we just don't even think about the language. What language are they speaking? And how do they understand these people? Since there are so many different languages, which we know not only from the story in the Torah, but we know in real life. In, in Africa, for example, the density of languages is, 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 is very, very high. And you go very short distances and you get people, tribes speaking very different languages and uh, almost incomprehensible. So how do they trade? How do they move? So at least I know in Africa and in, in parts of Asia, there are these super languages that, that are almost like what we would call pidgin. They're simpl- simplified versions of languages taking bits and pieces from languages in other places. Um, in West Africa, uh, in West Africa, um, th- there are three of them um, that, are, that are spoken over this, the span of West Africa. So I, I rather, imagine, rather imagine that when Moses was, was in Midian, he was neither speaking Egyptian, you know, Mitzri, nor was he speaking whatever the Midian language was. There was probably some sort of, I don't know what the technical term is, but there is a technical term of these super languages that have a very limited vocabulary and so you can't talk philosophy very well, but you certainly can negotiate. 
or invite someone to dinner or chase someone from a well. And it's, I haven't gone back to look at all the different places, but as far as I can tell, no commentators ever asked the question, how did he speak that language? Mm. Not of him, not of Joseph, not of Abraham. But I'm asking, how did they communicate? And, and yeah. how did that affect their interactions? Yeah. I mean, a great set of reflections and, and questions. Um, by the way, I've, I've um, been reading Gladwell for years. And I, for a while, Noah and I were enjoying his podcast when we were in England for a few months. We would take the different things we were enjoying his podcast then i forgot about them and i've just come back into them and, and they're and they're wonderful I, I i uh i feel incredibly enriched after hearing each one um your 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 question is particularly com um interesting because the torah as you reference goes to pains to let us know that the initial notion of a single language got broken into um, to many, many pieces in the dispersal after the Tower of Babel. So if the Torah, if the Torah goes so far to let us know that no one post-Babel understands each other, how are we supposed to understand how people are understanding each other? And, and the question about why that's not, I'm, I'm sure there is some comment on that, but it's not like a, it's not like a, a, a running conversation that the Mepharshim are having with us. In case you're wondering how Joseph's brothers communicated with Ishmaelim, it, it's, it's just not there. So uh, I, I, I don't know nearly enough about ancient linguistics to know if this, these sim simplified pidgin languages existed, uh, but I think the Tova may. Um, but I, but the, the idea of, 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 of thinking about that is interesting. And it does make me wish that Ludwig Zamenhof had been more successful than he was in proliferating Esperanto, because it would be nice to have like a simple language over, overarching the entire globe, right? Diane? Yeah, so I, I just want to say this this story is particularly sparse. It's it, when you think about um, um, the story of Jacob at the well and and all that, the story is much richer. And how he goes back to the house, the story is much richer in detail. And this one, as it progresses, it it's got a lot of empty spaces. So going back to the question about Moshe, you have to wonder what he saw as his identity at this point. Mm. Did he identify himself as an Ish Mitzri? Mm. Or, or, you know, how did he introduce himself? Yes, yes. Um, let me put Toba into the, into the uh, slot now, because I think she has a specific answer to that comment, and then we'll go back to Marshall and Barry, which was the previous order. I don't know if it's significant, but uh, there were, as was true in Europe, with French and uh, uh, there were diplomatic languages. And at that time, Akkadian was the common diplomatic language of the Middle East and Egypt. And the stele that were found uh, in Telamarna, which was under Akhenaten, the, they were written in Akkadian. And that was correspondence between the court and various, the Hittites, Middle East, they were all written in Akkadian. So at least a level of society had a common language that was more than just a Creole. It was, it was a, a fully developed language. But the other thing I wanted to say is, in a way contrary to Babel, we are very monolinguistic in our own thinking. But I remember there's a wonderful episode in the documentary that was based on Guns, Germs, and Steel on Jared Diamond's book about the development of civilizations where he's talking to a classroom of, of a like eight year old 
African children and he asked them, um, how many of you speak uh, four languages? And about a quarter of the kids raised their hand. How many of you speak three? You know, another quarter. And when he got down, there was none of them that only spoke one language. And he said, what would you think if I told you that where I came from, most people only speak one language? And the entire class broke into hysterical laughter. Uh, When groups lived in proximity to one another and spoke languages that were different but had some similarity, it was really common for people to speak multiple languages fairly adeptly. So I find that to be an unfortunate aspect of open, you know, quote, American exceptionalism. Yeah. One thing that we're most exceptional at is being terrible at other people's languages. Part of that has to do with the fact that we intuit the fact that, you know, English, we can get by in, in, in at least pidgin English in most places in the world. Um, some of you know, Michael Stoyer is a member of the synagogue. Uh, he grew up in Amsterdam um, and he speaks seven languages. Just like he just speaks, you know, he didn't, he didn't yeah. study them for years in university. He speaks German. He speaks French. He speaks English. He speaks Dutch. Um, he speaks Hebrew. He can find Yiddish. Right? And so Europeans and, and even South Americans are much better at that than us. And that's, that's unfortunate. Well, we could add to that. It's not just us. It's also the British. I, we asked that once when we were there and they said, yeah, they're also abysmal in other second languages. Same reliance. Uh, one of my cousins whom I've spoken about at times from the Bima, he was my grandmother's first cousin. And he was kind of the Zionist patriarch of the, uh, of the family uh, who grew up in, in Poland um, as um, very close friends with Menachem Begin. They fled to Palestine together. Uh, he also was, first of all, he was, he was an autodidact and he was a polymath and he was brilliant. Um, but he also spoke in innumerable number of languages. I wanted to ask him about it. He says, you know, once you've gotten the first seven down, the eighth is easy. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> you trained your brain in that way. Okay, long wait. Marshall and then Barry. Marshall, we don't hear you yet. Let me unmute you or ask you to unmute. Okay. okay. If we go back to verse 17, we see by Avoha Roim by Agarshum. And the, the shepherds came and they chased them away, referring to the daughters. By Moshe, by An. And Moses rose up and saved them. Here referring to the, the daughters in a fem, third person feminine. By Yashka, Sonam, could have been Sonan also, and he caused to water their flock. And yet, if we come now to our verse, sort of interesting. Vatomarna, Ishmitri, Lanu. So this Egyptian man saved us from the hand of the Rohim. And then, Lanu. And he also. I guess draw the do the water up for us, and then by Yashk et Hatzon, and then he caused to water the flock. So I'm just focusing. Why didn't they not say by Yashk et Tsonanu or something like that? Mm. So, so in in their own reference of it, they, they there's a reference to us in parts of the sentence, but not referencing the zone. It was That's their zone in the previous verse, but now it's just the, the flock. Interesting. Yeah. Good question. Barry? Okay. Um, so to, to get to, back to the, the storyline, all, all the discussion we were having in language is very interesting, but I, I think the, the, uh, the playwright uh, here is staging this very plainly for us. 
that uh, this is not a Hebrew. He's in. He's been introduced uh, in this new environment, uh, not as a Hebrew. That's right. <laughs> And, and therefore, and and um, the story continues on that basis, and uh, identity comes later. Got it. Good. Okay. Rashi is quiet on this verse. We have had a lot to say. Rashi is quiet. This verse, two verses in a row that Rashi is quiet. Any other questions you want to ra- raise up on this verse, and or answer some of the questions that haven't already raised? Joel, I just. I wanted to know if you could go over Fris Cooney because he talks about this, but I don't understand why he's what he's saying. Let's take a look. And I'm surprised that uh, Larry didn't bring this up. No, but Fris Cooney doesn't comment on this verse. Does he say something about it in a well, previous verse? In Safaria, he does. He says, um, Alinyan, no, wait a second. Um, Mishma Shalok. He says he doesn't reveal to them his his place of birth, and he therefore he doesn't, um, you know, have the uh, he he's not qualified to be buried there. This is his kuni on that verse. Yeah, is in our in my book. It's, it's in not, brackets. I don't know what that means. It's in brackets in Safaria, which might mean it doesn't appear in all versions. Right. It might be that it's like maybe attributed to Chizkuni. Usually our volume would have included that. It maybe said, you know, you know, Leita B'tfush Rishon, not in the first printing, but I don't see those words at all. But I'll still try to make sense of it. Say it one more time. Mishma Mem Shin Mem Ein Mashma. So what this means is Oh, He didn't. The what? So he he didn't. Uh, he wasn't qualified to to be buried in the land, in his land. Hmm. Um, without looking more closely at it, I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, yes, yeah, zacha does mean merit here. I'm not sure what the reference is. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sorry. Um, okay. Any other comments or questions on this verse before we go forward? Sue? On that, on that, on what Joel just said, that he didn't, that he didn't reveal to them where, where his, his, uh, you know, birth origin is because he wouldn't merit being buried in the land. He may be worried about where he has now fled and fled and been and fled. Um, and he may be worried about the future. If he tells anybody where he's from, that they don't know where they're going to put him. I mean, it might be a, a, a concern about what his future is about. I'm looking at it right now uh, on Safari. See if I can make one more attempt at understanding it. I'm not sure. I mean, I understand the words. I'm not sure what it's adding to the conversation. And it kind of makes sense that it might be in brackets, that it, it may not have been in, actually written or contributed by Fies Cooney. Hmm. Okay, we'll have to leave it as a, as a puzzle. Okay, so then let's go on to the next verse. Uh, Barry, you're still up because you haven't hit a Rashi yet, so you get to do one more verse. You got to unmute, Barry. We don't hear you yet. Not a pretty good to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, okay. 
Um, so uh, he, uh, Ruel, uh, he said to his daughters, uh, why uh, this, then why this, uh, you, uh, you're here. Oh, uh, 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 what, 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 so why? Uh, 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 the man, uh, you, you, what would you, I'll make it up. You, you, you left the man. Good. That's not making it up. Exactly right. Yeah. And, and call, call him, uh, that he uh, can eat bread. Great. Right. The one word I want to slow down on is vi-io. Vi-io is, is aye, which means where declined in the male third person singular. Where is he? You know, you may know this word from Ayeka. What God says to Adam after the sin is, where are you? Ayeka. So where are you? Ayo, where is he? So in, in biblical Hebrew, Aleph Yud or Aleph Yud Hey was where. Okay? So he says to his daughters, after they tell him the story that we just read, the Ayo, then where is he? Right? Lama ze azaftenata ish. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll introduce a question, although I'm really interested in your questions. What's the Z doing here, right? Lama Azavten etaish would have been fine. Why did you leave or abandon the man? What's the Z doing there? Okay, and then Kir Enlo, go call him, Yochal Lachem, and he will eat bread. He will dine with us. Lech Lachem as opposed to Lechem for the same reason Hamotzi Lechem in Haaretz that it's a segulate noun in a pausal part of the verse. Okay, those are, that's what the words mean. Questions, uh, Leonard, Rebecca, then Diane, Larry. Hi, I actually had a couple comments on the last verse. Is it too late for that? Or? Oh, I don't know, Leonard. You know, we're, <laughs> we're, so, we're so past verse 19. Yes, absolutely, go ahead. Okay, so um, somebody named Ha'amak ha- Davar, that's the that's the Natsiv, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, uh, who was the the um, Rosh Hashiva in Volozhin in the late twentieth century, late nineteenth century. Okay, so he says that they, um, you know, they the um, the girls uh, recognize Moses Moses as an Egyptian because of his clothing and his uh, language. Uh, but then he adds to that, that from here we learn, or that the rabbis teach us, that all of Israel did not change their clothes or their or their language in Egypt. I don't know how you get one from another, but it sounds like the, uh, the Israelites in Egypt kept their language and kept their clothing. But Moses, since he grew up in the palace, didn't have either of those. So that's comment number one. Meaning, then, I, think, I think what he's saying is the way that they, the way that they identify them as an Egyptian and not as an Israelite is that had he really been an Israelite who grew up with the Israelites, he would have still spoken whatever language we imagine the Israelites spoke then and dressed like them. That he was this connect maybe to um, Tova's comment about who who is he really? He appears as an Egyptian, even though he's about to be the savior of the Israelites from the Egyptians. Yeah, I think that's right, and. And then the other thing is that the uh, the father or the grandfather well says to the girls, "Hey, you guys are home early today." And Ram Ban has a very long comment on this, but the very last phrase of that very long comment says that um, this is because the they the shepherds would um, 
chased them away every day when they came to the um, when they came to the you know to the well and filled it with water. So this was an everyday occurrence. So it was quite noticeable when they showed up that uh, they were early because that's something that never happens. Right. Well, we we kind of made a glancing reference to this last week. What was what was novel was not that they were harassed. What was novel is that the harassment ended, right? Which makes Moshe's presence as a savior type even more like present in the verse. Good. Uh, Larry Dayan. So I'm going to answer your question. Um, but first I want to comment on sort of a meta question, which is um, when, when I was young and, and, and learned in, in school, public school to write, I remember many of my teachers telling us to remove all of the ands from all of our sentences. Um, and clearly the vov is not always and, maybe it's even not very often and, but I'm struck with the vayomer, v'ayo, and v'yochal. And I, and I think that they all have meaning um, besides and. So your question about the zeh is because I don't think this is um, Yitro. I think that it's Yitro's father. I think it's the grandfather. The grandfather to me is kind of like my grandmother. So what he is saying to his daughters is, so where is he? Mm. What is this? You left that man? Call him and let him come and eat. Because this is what a Jewish grandmother or grandfather do, even though they're not Jewish, is they say, we want to feed him. So I think that the, the Hebrew actually has the sense of this sort of admonition and astonishment. Why wouldn't you invite him into our house? Mm. Why did you just leave him there? But then I want to ask you more seriously about the Vavs and um, whether the, the Vav on Va'ayo actually should be interpreted to mean um, so where is he or um, what the heck is going on or something like that. And then also the Vav at the very end, V'yochal Lechem, which is a strange way of saying, um, you know, at, let him eat or let's feed him. In fact, it, it isn't, if, if I understand correctly, and let's feed him, it's let him eat. I don't know if that makes a difference um, in the way in which you put it. Okay, so um, I, I like your, I'll call it a cute reading of Lama Zeh as its own phrase, right? That it's not Lama Zeh as of 10, but Lama Zeh. Like, what, what, like, like why, why is this happening, right? Almost like a, you know, a little burst of, 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 of conversation. So let's hold that as a, as, a, as a sweet reading. It's interesting that you point out the vavs because each of the three vavs that you, um, that you mention in the verse are, are, are totally different from one another grammatically. The vav of Vayomer is clearly a vav ha'ipuch. It's a, um, a verb that looks like a future tense verb, but it's understood as a past tense. And it's the Torah's natural way of continuing from the previous thought, right? So it, um, it, it, it switches over the form. We've discussed this many times, mostly just to like tie together the previous verse to this one. The vav an vayochalachem is not vavayipuch because it's a future verb and it's supposed to be read future. It's not, ter- it's not saying, and he ate with them. It's let him eat, literally, and he may eat with us. So that's, that's, just, that's just a vav. Right? That one is just an, an and, right? Call him, and what will happen next? And he'll eat with us, perhaps. The vav on the ayo is neither and is the most extraneous. 
because Vayomer el he said to his daughters, Ayo, where is he? The, the Vav and Vavayo is not a Vavayipuch, it's not switching around the form, and it's not, um, it, it, it's not telling us what happened next as, or what could happen next. It's almost as if you want to put a, a, Jewish, a Jewish voice into Ruel's head. Um, he said to them, and where is he? Right, like it, it be, intentionally beginning the sentence with an unneeded and right. to emphasize kind of a tone of voice. So there's three very different vavs, interestingly, and I appreciate that you that you picked up on them. Um, let's go, Renee, and then Tova. So it's interesting that in Everett Fox, that when he says that he can eat bread, that he puts the with us in parentheses and an exclamation point. I'm looking and at it. They right have now. to clarify it, and it's not just a given that 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 he's said that they should have invited him to have bread with them. Yeah, I mean, who else is who else is he going to have bread with? And I got to tell you, looking at Ever Fox, he partially agrees with Larry's read how he punctuates it. Yeah, he said to his daughters: colon, So where is he? Question mark. All hyphenated. Vio. So where is he? exactly I was reading it. Yeah, no, where is he? Right? right. And now, for what reason, hyphenated as a word, which I have him as translating lama ze. What is this? For what reason? Uh, actually, sorry. For what reason is the lama? He turns the ze into a then. For what reason then? Lama ze. What reason then? Have you left the man behind? Call him, comma, that he may eat bread parentheses with us and parentheses exclamation point. So he's, he's doing something in that verse. It's not a hundred percent clear, but he, he he's, he's on your wavelength a little bit, Larry. Good. A uh, Tova and then Sue or Sue, do you, is that specifically related to what I just said? Okay. Tova. Okay. Um, to the thing that was caught my attention in this to take it back to the verse you were talking about is the use of ish which of course is common enough to be used, but in the context of what's just come before, uh, we talked about how Ishmitsri reflects or might reflect on the character of Moshe, but thinking of it from the perspective of how the daughters saw him, they saw him as an Egyptian man. And I almost get the sense that they have come back, not because he scared them, but he was different. He was exotic. He was, and that's what's on their mind. And in the voice of Raul Yitro, grandfather, father, whatever is this grounding of where is the man? Not Mitzri, not this, but a, a man, a human being who did you a service, where is the man? Uh, and I think the, the balance between the two phrases is, is nice. Great. Thank you for that. Um, Sue, and then I see Barry's hand, and then I see Norm's hand. Okay. Oh, there you go. Uh- this kind of tags on to what uh, Tova just said kind of nicely. Um, you know, we don't always have such a perfect adherence to right pronoun in, in a sentence. Like this, this is, it's so heavy, my daughters, and every verb, the, the, the conjugation of the verb is perfect to the daughters and doesn't ever waver. I mean, that's kind of, I know it's stating the obvious. Um, but... Um, 
to what Tova just said, it just seems to me that now we're talking about my daughters, my daughters, my daughters, my daughters, my daughters, where's the guy? You found a guy? Where's the guy? I got all these daughters. Bring me the guy. And so all of a sudden it popped up for me as in contrast to the daughters, 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 you know? So, uh, and in fact, that's where it kind of goes. So like knew there was a guy, he fed the little flock. Where is he? Brent, he has a mother on. who married off one of her daughters the same. <laughs> <laughs> right? right. And, but let's wait then and now, once your kids are potty trained and can tie their own shoes, it's the primary thing you're trying to figure out for them, right? Or, or waiting, waiting for it to happen, right? So we, 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 we have an indication, and Rashi's going to play with that a little bit on the word lechem, if we get that far, that already th- 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 there's a scene here. And, and, and what's, uh, what's, what's already brewing is a shidduch, right? And, 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 and the, Torah makes, the Torah makes Ruel, father or grandfather, very early on interested in where where is the guy who is the guy um so rashi will slow us down a little bit but i think that that innuendo which is going to be resolved very quickly um is hovering already barry the norm and and rachel that was the direction i was uh, gonna go we are to uh, invite him in to eat the, the bread it's not come and let him have lunch it's just more than that right so come and bring him into this household right right good norm rachel I think I know why they did not invite him back. They perceived him as an Egyptian. Everybody, and I mean everybody knows the Egyptians are polytheists. They're afraid that if they invite him home, he's going to find out that they are monotheists, and he's going to turn on them, and he won't be helpful the next day. Instead, he'll be a hindrance the next day when they come to water their flocks. And so they do not on their own invite him in because we know he's a monotheist, but they don't know this. And that's why it says they, they, he was an Egyptian man. They're warning their father or grandfather, as the case may be, this guy may not be so great. Yeah. What you're doing here is interesting. I want, I want to point it out, but it's interesting. You're now reading the shot of Ishmitzri, which Rashi doesn't, doesn't comment on, through Rashi's Midrashic reading of, 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 of um, the Nidui, right? So... The Pshat of each Mitzri doesn't have to respond to Rashi's ex post facto drash on it. And it's saying that Rashi doesn't comment on it. But yes, what, what, once Rashi lays a prism for us, it's hard to escape it, which is why you see, as we discussed, certain translations, particularly in Art Scroll, read Pshat based on how Rashi has translated, right? So, um, so yes, it adds, it, adds, it adds a layer to it, but it's a reminder that we don't know from the verse that, that Ru'el has... Um, has, has left polytheism, just that Rashi through the Midrash wants us to read it that way. But still, good stuff. Uh, Rebecca Leonard. So um, I'm remembering back to where um, Joseph is there with his brothers and they're eating and he's eating in a separate room because the Egyptians don't eat with the, the common folk. Correct. I'm wondering if that's what's happening over here, that this is a well-known custom, so they didn't invite mm. him home because they know that the Egyptian mm. wouldn't eat with them. Mm. And, that's maybe, and that may be another reason why the verse emphasizes that, he's, that they think or they're seeing him as an Ishmitzri. Yeah. Mm. Um, what we're, what we're going to see in a second in, with, the verse, with the Torah's silence is that the daughters don't answer him. The daughters don't explain. He asks a why question. 
And the Torah doesn't resolve with their answer. The Torah just resolves with Moshe and then and eventually eats with them, right? Um, okay, so uh, I think <clears throat> that is the end of the questions that I've, I see on the verse. Let's look at how Rashi handles some of this. Uh, Barry, if you're up for it, you're still on, you, you own this verse. <clears throat> uh, let me get where it was here. Uh, so am I starting with Lama Zen Azavten? Correct. Why did you be um, uh, So Hikirbo Shechu Mazaro Shel Yaakov. I'm just reading my translation here. He, he realized that he was a descendant of Yaakov. Keep reading. Shechamayim Olim Lik Rato. Uh, for whom the waters of the Nile rose. Okay. Now, in those eight or nine he- Hebrew words, there is a lot going on. And there's a lot of like inside baseball that you need to have know slash remember from Rashi's before to make sense of what he's saying. Hmm. Let me, I'm trying to think of the order in which I want to tease this out. Um, so the way Barry read and translated is, is you know, is, is exactly right, right? That he kirbo, so the he here is Ru'el, Bo, it refers to Moshe. So Ruel recognized in him, Moshe, that he is a descendant of Jacob. For the Mayim, the water, Olim, it's interesting, it's present tense. Are, the water is rising, Likrato, to meet him. Um, let's go this direction. What's the reference to Yaakov? Does anyone, rem- anyone uh, remember um, um, Anything midrashically that we've discussed that connects Yaakov, Jacob, to water coming to meet him? Sue? Uh, the wells, his father's wells, didn't he find all of the, didn't he, didn't he, didn't he find the wells? Yitzhak finds really? the wells that Avraham oh, had. That's one generation. That's what I was thinking about it. But, That's you know, we, I would say within the last, I don't know, I've, I've watched Dr. Time, year, <laughs> this class has, has paid at least seven minutes of attention how come we don't all remember this? Uh, to something Rashi says about Yaakov's relationship with the water, with the Nile. When Yaakov comes to Egypt, oh. there's an interaction between Yaakov and, and, and Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who Yaakov? is... Yosef or Yaakov? Yaakov. That somehow when Yaakov arrives in the land of Egypt, yeah. this magical power he brought with him, the famine ended, Right. There was Rashi had to do this math about how long the famine lasted. It actually had stopped when Yaakov got there and that the waters yeah. of the Nile, which had been depleted through the famine and the drought, literally come up to kiss Yaakov's feet. They greet Yaakov's feet at the edge. And Pharaoh is so taken by this holy man who has power over the very things that Pharaoh thinks that he and his gods have power over. So Yaakov midrashically is understood um, um, and listen, there are a lot of our ancestors are associated with water. Miriam, and yes, uh, Yitzchak, and the wells of Abraham. But Yaakov is understood midrashically as having had the power to draw up the water that had been in a, you know, low in the Nile up to where his feet were. Okay, so that's what the phrase is, Shehamayim Olim Likrato, that for whom the water had risen up to his feet. Now, my second question is, so... In what way then, let's assume Yitro knows that Midrash, haha, 
right? And Yitro knows that that's a Yaakovian thing, a Jacobian thing. What, what does this comment suggest that Yitro slash Ruel is picking up on in Moshe such that he thinks he has that genetic trait? How is that a, how is that a resolution of this verse? Barry? I'm not sure if I have a resolution, uh, but apparently uh, Ruel has uh, prophetic capabilities. He's just not the father of these daughters, um, and not just a, a deposed priest because he's monotheist, uh, but he has uh, prophetic capabilities, and yeah. he's aware of the unfolding story. Right, so that's how inside Rashi's comment we can imagine Yitro knowing things not, not that people would know, I want to know, let's say we, we grant that, that he knows that. How, is that. how is that connected to Moshe in this scene? And by the way, Norm, that's interesting. If you can pu- pull up the Geshem prayer um, online I, I, to, be, to remind us of the exact line that is associated with Yaakov, because what Norm is referring to is that in the Geshem prayer, which we just said, there are six stanzas referring to five of our ancestors and then all of the people Israel and, and poetically a, 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 um, a, attaching each of them to water stuff. So remind us of, if you can find it, of the exact line with Yaakov. But anyone else want to try to answer that question? Otherwise I can give you my thought to, my, to answer my own question. Barbara? Oh, you, you, I, I unmuted you and then you thought to unmute you and I unmuted mm-hmm. yourself. Okay, I, I think he's connecting Moshe to Jacob, to Yaakov, and saying this must be a monotheist, an Israelite, not, a, not an Egyptian. I think he's thinking the daughters are wrong. Moshe must be an Israelite. Why? Why does Ruel pick up on that? Because of the water, he's, he's figuring that the water had risen for both of these two people. There must be something within the Israelites that gets the water to rise up when they come to the wells. Good. I, the I think water. you're right there. And Rashi doesn't make it explicit. I think Rashi wants us to make the jump that since this guy was Dalo Dalalanu, he very, not only did he send away the other shepherds, but he so, you know, easily just drew water for us, for us. He, he, he must be like those Israelites who have magic with water. In fact, yeah. in one of the super commentaries on Rashi... I think he's saying he must be one of those Israelites, not right. just like them. Right. Um, yeah, so, in, in, so in, the, in the one of the Midrashim from which Rashi draws this, no pun intended, which is Shmot Rabbah, um, we have the following. Lafisha Amrulo. Because they, the daughters, said to him, their father, "Vegam dalo dala lanu," for verily he has drawn for us. This is a this is a very forced read, but you, you, this is, I think, what's what's pushing this. Bidilia achat. It seems that he he drew once, dalo dala. He drew in one moment lanu, and somehow it was sufficient for all of us. Dala etakol. He, since he was able to draw once and, and water us and our flock, that suggests he's miraculous at, at bringing the water to him. That makes him Jacobian. Okay, now we've resolved two or three of the, um, of the problems in the verse. Here's the key question I want to ask. What question, what question in the verse does this comment answer? Now we understand the answer. But what is, what's the problem in the verse such that this is the answer to it? 
And in particular, although we know that Rashi himself didn't choose these Dibureh HaMachil, the, the, the words on which the comment is based, they are ex post facto attempts to figure out which word he's commenting on, but it's a pretty established ex post facto that the words he is commenting on are Lama Ze Azarten. Why did you leave? Why'd you leave this guy? Why is the answer we've now figured out, Yaakov, uh, Ruel realized that he was a descendant or he was a connected to Yaakov who had water power magic. How is that an explanation of the words, why did you leave him? Anyone? I'll tell you what I think, but I don't know because this is some of the, um, the, the puzzle of Rashi. Rashi doesn't explain why these words are a comment on those verses. I think what he's saying is, why, why in an era and a region where foreign men are dangerous to his daughters, why is his initial question, why did you leave him there? Why is he interested in this guy? Why, 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 would, why would Yitro suppose that his daughters would assume that he would want them to bring him in? Because that's clearly not the, the norm in terms of local wanderers. But if, if we follow Rashi throughout, we do see Yitro as an emerging uh, acolyte of monotheism. And he also recognizes through this water trick that so is Moshe, that even though they describe him as an Ish Mitzri, one of you said this already, um, Yitro knows what they don't know, and he's not Egyptian man, he's an Israelite, and therefore he should be brought into their tent. So there is a lot of knowledge that the Midrash is ascribing to Yitro about the Jacob story and about Moshe's reality that the daughters are blind to, such that he says, go get this guy. This is a guy who belongs in our tent. We want to be associated with him presciently. We're going to be extremely associated with him very soon, both in terms of family and in terms of faith. That's my guess. I'm just seeing what, what you wrote here in the chat. Roll the stone. His love. To the... Yeah. I don't, so I don't think there's a reference to, to that, but, um, but it's a good reminder of the Yaco- other Jacobian connections with the water because he had power over that heavy stone when he met Ra- Rachel, which I attribute to his in love and infatuation for her. Um, Thoughts, comments, reactions on what I just offered as an attempt to explain why Rashi is saying what he's saying. Um, okay. Uh, we're at 929. We're halfway through a Rashi. So we, we, we spent really all of today on one verse, which is great. Um, rather than do the next Rashi, which is also dense, even though it's short, uh, in 40 seconds, why don't we um, end it here and we'll pick up on Vayochel Lachem next wednesday the idea that just that just parents know parents have a sense of things for their children yeah maybe yitro just had a sense as a parent judy i see fascinating fascinating today just fascinating and how the stories of the israelites were known in the region very thought-provoking right or or that chazal wanted to fantasize that the stories true. of the Israelites were known. In the true, There's true. definitely a through line in Chazal of imagining our narrative as being more significant in the outside world than it may have been, right? But yes, because the Pshat does not rely on, on Yitro knowing that, but the, the Midrashic through line does. Yes. Uh, have a great Wednesday. Oh, Barry. Yes. Last, 
you, you get the last word. Not, not to be re redundant here, but it, this is a turning point. So uh, uh, the daughters are introducing him as a Mitri, but Yithro is, is it's a turning point, his prophetic capabilities. It's, a, it's the beginning of the Israelite uh, history here. So he, he's, he's turning the story. Great. Hey, and, and, and then it's going to turn even more abruptly in the next verse, which we'll get to at some point in the distant future, given our pace. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA.org.